Good morning. We're glad to have you at Rivermont today, and I invite you to turn in your Bibles to Ephesians, where I want you to hold your Bibles open in the book of Ephesians. We're going to look at verses 21 to 23 of chapter 1, and we're also going to look at verses 18 and 19 of chapter 3. This is our last Sunday on our series in prayer, or on prayer, as we talk about power today. The power that we need to live our lives for the Lord Jesus. Next week we'll get back to our study of the Gospel of Luke, and I promise that we're going to be finished by Advent. You've hung hung in with me for a long time, but we're getting to the good part, you know. We're getting to Holy Week here. So our last week on prayer this week as we look at power from the book of Ephesians. And if any of us wondered why we need power and what kind of enemy we're up against, we need to look no further than the news in our own town this week, right? We witnessed a simply act of evil and violence that was carried out on the morning news right here in our own backyard. A cold and calculated murder that simply was evil. And truth be told, we don't have the power in us to deal with the evil that we see. We have no power to deal with the evil out there. And frankly, we don't have the power to deal with the evil in here either. In our own hearts. Because the reality is, friends, that there is the seed of every kind of sin in my heart and in your heart. And furthermore, there is an attraction, there is a love for sin in our hearts too. How do we battle it? How do we fight against evil outside and evil inside? Well, let's look at Ephesians chapter 1 at Paul's prayer for us. We last week saw Paul pray that the Spirit would open our eyes to certain kinds of power. And let's pick it up in verse 20. The power that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him his head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. And down in chapter 3, We'll look at verses 18 and 19 of a second prayer that Paul prays. He prays, verse 18, that we may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Let's pray together. Father, we ask that today, by the power of Your Spirit, You would fill us. That You would open our eyes to see the wonderful things that You have done for us in Christ Jesus. And that You would open our eyes to the power of the Spirit who has been given to us. We pray it all in Christ's name. Amen. Two of the most evil men I have ever met were elders of the church. I don't mean just bad guys. I'm meaning people, men who were an embodiment of evil, who, who sought to twist goodness, sought to twist light, sought to twist the Scriptures to a level of possession by evil. And in my calling as pastor, I had to deal with these two guys. 
And as the situation came clear to me, I realized I was dealing more than with just these two men. Because there was a host of evil. There was the work of the devil in them masquerading as light. And the battle against these guys wasn't with their flesh and blood, but it was with principalities and powers. And I tell you, it almost took me. Both of them. It almost swamped me in my life. Emotionally, physically, spiritually, I felt like in the Lord of the Rings with with Frodo having that ring weighing him down and I felt myself almost give up. It was too much. It almost took me because I thought I could handle it. I knew my Bible. I knew theology. I know a little bit about psychology. I know a little bit about psychological dysfunction. I know all these things and it was the knowing that almost undid me. It's because I underestimated the powers that I was up against. Underestimated the reality of evil that is out there and wants to destroy our lives. But it's out there, friends. And it's in our own hearts too. It shows up at our house often in the morning. Starting school is rough around my house. And it feels like when we get up, it's, it's like we set emotional landmines for each other and one of us tiptoe and we step on one and boom! An accusation is made, a grumpy, grumpy attitude, and I feel powerless to deal with it in calm. Instead, as the dad, I turn to prosecutor mode. And I want to make sure that the offender feels adequately guilty for their offense. And you know what happens? It bewilders the whole family. When I'm attacked, it feels like it's almost impossible for me not to attack back or not to forcefully correct. And I feel powerless sometimes to deal with this raging sin within me. Where does the power come from to deal with the evil on the outside and the evil on the inside? Paul's already said that we've been given this kind of power by the Spirit. But we're often so blind to it. And therefore he calls us to pray. To pray that the Holy Spirit would open the eyes of our hearts to see what we've already been given that those powers of the Spirit within us would be at work changing us and transforming us. And in short, we access those powers through prayer. But I don't know if your life is like mine. A major issue for me, and I think for our congregation too, is that we view prayer as supplemental instead of foundational. We view prayer as a nice add-on. We view prayer as a good idea instead of a necessary action. Because when it comes right down to it, we often think that we can think our way into change or will our way into change or exert our way into change. And when it doesn't work, we tend to fall into despair, all the while thinking that prayer was just a nice add-on. It was like one of the myriad of pills that a doctor could give me to treat my malady. Prayer is just one of them. But in reality, friends, prayer is foundational. It has to happen if we're going to lay hold of the power that's been given to us. Prayer forms the foundation of a life that's being rebuilt by the Lord in His power and in His strength. 
If any of us want to know and experience that power of God within us, the power to deal with the evil on the outside and the evil on the inside, then we have to become a people devoted to the Word and prayer together. It's not supplemental. It's foundational. Because prayer is the way the Lord brings us the power for a new life. It's what we saw last week, that the power that is alive and at work within us is the resurrection power of God. Look again at verse 20. It's the power that He worked in Christ when He raised Him from the dead and seated Him at the right hand in the heavenly places. Paul says that the same power that raised Jesus from the dead is alive and at work within us. The power that life that reigns over death is alive in us. The power that enthroned Jesus over everything is alive within us. Let's look at how that plays out a little bit more closely in the ways that we access that power in our lives. It's through prayer. And it is through prayer that we begin to lay hold of power over our dead hearts. Look at verse 1 of chapter 2 in Ephesians. Paul says that we are dead in our trespasses and our sins. And furthermore, he says, we walked in this death. That is, we entertained it, we embraced it, we, we embodied it. Our lives were the walking dead as we lived in the grip of this sin. The grip of our flesh and we're dead in our sins, Paul says. That is, we're spiritually dead. We can't do anything to help ourselves. In our own flesh, our hearts are opposed to God and we live up that death in the ways that we go about laying hold of our sin. This is one of the verses in the Bible that clearly teaches that if we believe, it's because God gave us the power to believe. How so? Well, how dead is dead? It's not like Monty Python. It's not mostly dead. It's all the way dead. Completely dead. And you know this. If, if you yell at a dead body of impending disaster, nothing's going to happen. They're not going to get up. They're not going to hear a warning that you offer to them. It doesn't matter if you jump and flail and scream and do all of these things. A dead body's not going to move. So with our spiritual condition. We are dead in our sins. We are dead in our trespasses. And we can't do anything about it on our own. But thanks be to God, He didn't leave us there. Look at verse 4 of chapter 2. Paul says, but God... These are some of the most hopeful words in all the Bible. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, He made us alive together with Christ. We were dead in our sins, but we've been given new life in Christ. As Jesus is alive, as Jesus is back from the dead, where He paid the penalty for our sin, we also now are alive in Him as we place our faith and our trust in Him. It's by grace that we've been saved, Paul says. It's that language of divine gift-giving. He's given us a gift of new life. We were dead. We were powerless. Not mostly dead. Completely dead. And in His power, He made us alive. Now go back to chapter 1, verse 20, where Paul prays that our eyes would be open to that power. To that power that brings life out of death. 
Paul prays we would know it. And what he's saying to us is that we would, we would pray and know that the penalty for our guilt has been paid by the blood of Jesus. We're wiped clean. And also, the power of His life is within us right now. The power to say no to sin and yes to righteousness is within us. That resurrection power of Jesus is within us to reshape us and mold us and make us more and more into the image of Christ. Think about some sin that has the best of you right now. All of us have two or three or or 19. Whether they're irrational anger or lusts or covetousness or adulterous minds, adulterous lives or being a gossip, being a trafficker of information, whatever it is, when you are tempted toward that sin, Paul says pray. And pray in this way. Lord, I'm tempted because something has come over me again and again and again, but I know that you freed me from the guilt of that sin by your own blood, and I know that you freed me from its power. May your life in me strengthen me to fight and stand because I'm no longer dead, but I'm alive. And let your life in me prevail over this temptation that I have because I really want to walk in that death again. But may your life prevail. Paul says pray in that way when we are tempted to walk in the ways of death. And it's not easy. I know it's not easy. The sin in you and me is a fight unto the death. As John Owen, the Puritan theologian, wrote, Be killing sin or it will be killing you. It's a fight to the death. And those theologians, those Puritans knew that there stands between our lives and lives of glory a whole lot of death. And that is death to self, death to sin, which they called mortification. That is putting to death the sin that's in our lives. But as Brett said in the, in the children's message, it doesn't happen by just gritting it out. We don't kill sin by focusing on it. Our love for sin has to be driven out by a more powerful love. Look at chapter 3, verses 18 and 19, where Paul prays about that love. He prays that we would have strength to comprehend or grasp the love of Christ and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Paul's talking there about us being filled up with something. What is it? He says that we would be filled up with the fullness of God. And the way that word fullness is used here and in chapter 1, it refers to His sovereign power, His kingly life, the life that brings life out of death, His powerful mercy. He prays that we would be filled up with all that power of God. And how does it happen? Verse 19. It happens when we know the love of Christ. It is knowing, deeply embodying the love of Jesus beyond uh, beyond all imagination. It is that love of Christ that gives us power to be filled with the fullness of God. When we know deeply in the depth of our bones that Jesus loves us, then we can be filled with His power. It's one of the chief engines of the Christian life that power follows love. Power follows Christ's love for us. If you want to know and you want to experience that kind of power in your life, the power to kill sin, for instance, then it comes from laying hold of His love for you. 
The love that put you, your flesh, to death with Him upon the cross. The love that had you raised from the dead together with Him. The love that united you with Jesus. That love is what gives you power to fight against the evil and the sin in your own life. Or as the great Scottish pastor Thomas Chalmers once preached, the love of Christ for us is a power that expels sin from our lives. The best way to cast our love for sin out, he says, is to admit into our hearts a stronger love. And that is the love for Jesus for us. That word in verse 18 of chapter 3 that we would comprehend, Paul prays it it literally more in an earthy translation is grasp or wrestle. It's really a violent word. It's a word that's used for the plundering of a city. It's a word that's used for the overthrow of a city in a battle. And what Paul is saying here, he's praying that in by the Holy Spirit's power in prayer, that the love of Christ would be wrestled into our hearts. That the love of Christ would, would overthrow the city of our hearts so that we would begin to understand to be transformed more and more and made holy. See, the way we are transformed, the way we change in this Christian life, is to meditate upon and understand the love of Jesus for a sinner like me and like you. The love of Jesus that overtakes us, that plunders us, that wrestles us into someone different. Changes us from the inside out. It's that love that is clearly seen in the work of Jesus upon the cross. That is what leads to the putting to death of our sin. When we know that we are loved and cherished and valued and we are pursued, when we know that we are the apple of God's eye, even when He knows all the things about us that we desperately try to keep hidden from other people, even our spouse, He knows it all. It's laid bare before Him and instead of turning away, He moves toward you. It is an incredible, a powerful love that pursues us. Even though He knows everything about us, He pursues us even to the death of His own Son. He pursues us in blood and in love. And that, my friends, is what will drive us to holiness. One pastor said that until we understand that kind of love in the Gospel... That we are loved and cherished by the God that we have so terribly offended. Until we grasp that kind of love, until that moment, we are not going to admit our sin. But instead, we're going to play the the, the culturally acceptable game of, hey, I'm not perfect. What do you expect? I'm, I'm not perfect. We'll play that game. We'll try to wash away our sin, sweep it under the rug, and just... Play nice with the evil and sin that lies within us until we come to grasp that we are cherished by the one we've offended. So terribly so. There is a new life-giving power in you. And it is the love of Jesus for you, magnified upon the cross and made alive in His resurrection power. Friends, the way that we come by that life is when the Holy Spirit wrestles it into our hearts, our dead hearts being made alive, and we remember it, we meditate upon it in prayer. 
I could give you any homework assignments for today, I would encourage you to memorize these two sets of verses. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 15 to 23, and chapter 3, verses 14 to 21. Memorize them and pray them back to your Heavenly Father. Pray them over and over and over and meditate upon them. So the Holy Spirit takes those words that you read upon the page, those words that you're hiding in your heart, and He makes them into your experience as He fills you with the fullness of God and breathes strength and power and transformation into our lives. How do we do it? In prayer. That's where the power is going to come from. Paul not only prays that the Holy Spirit would exercise power over our dead hearts, but also power over the opposition. Now this next part of verse 21 of chapter 1 is where we Presbyterian types can begin to squirm a little bit. Because Paul prays that we would know the power, verse 21, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. It's an easy application for us to make that we would be glad that there is no power that can stand against Jesus. No kingdom, no nation, no blowhard ruler. Nations come and go. And this verse says that not only is the power of all of those rulers inferior to Jesus... Not only is He stronger than them, but those powers are subject to Him. He has authority over them. And that brings us great hope when we see our world and even see our lives spinning out of control to know that the powers of this world are actually on a leash. And Jesus holds the leash. They're subject to Him. But that's not exactly what this verse means. You have to see that when Paul uses these words, ruler and authority and power and dominion together in this way, it's a technical way of using these words. And in the Jewish literature of his day and a bit before, when those words are used together in that way, it's reflecting a ranking of demons. What Paul is saying is that Jesus is enthroned over every ruler and power and dominion, meaning He's enthroned over every messenger of Satan, from the least to the greatest. He has power over them. He has dominion over them. He has authority over them. From the least to the greatest, Jesus is stronger. And not only is their power inferior to His, He's stronger than them, but they are subject to His power. That's what He's saying. They must obey His voice. They must flee when the resurrection power of Jesus is present. He has authority over the authorities, is what Paul is saying. As one friend commented to me last week about this verse, he has authority because he is the author. He is powerful. He's more powerful. And they have to give up when His resurrection authority says so. And Paul says, pray... That that power is alive and at work in you and in me right now. How are we going to have power over the evil out there? Evil masquerading as light? It's laying hold of His resurrection power through prayer. That's how it happens. Also, verse 21 speaks of every name. And that's more referring to titles given to human rulers. 
He has authority over them too. Not just then, but now and forever in the age to come. So hear what this is saying clearly. Paul says that there is no power that is at work in this world that is opposed to Jesus that he is not stronger than they are. There is no power, there is no blowhard ruler, there is no messenger of the devil in this world that does not ultimately have to bow the knee to Jesus. There is no one who holds authority over you who will not have to bow their knee to the Lord Jesus Christ. Friends, that gives us hope. We pray this way that our eyes would be opened to that truth that those who seek our destruction, those who seek to, to sow dissension among the body of Christ, even the evil within us that, that seeks to pursue our own flesh, His power is at work. Absolutely at work in you right now. Stronger than all of those powers. And I know it may not look that way in your life right now. It may look like your life is out of control. But the Bible says that it's true. And that should give us a great motive to pray, to to speak, to cry out to the One who holds the power over every power. For in God, God makes a way where there is no other way. That's what Paul is saying to us here. Friend, are you afraid? Pray. Are you battered? Are you bruised? Pray. Are you weak? Do you feel like you're under assault? Pray. Pray and resist the powers of the evil among you because greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. If you notice verse 22, how does he put all this to work? He puts it to use for the church. His power is for you and in you such though that his power is unleashed in the world. That just boggles the mind. That it is through us, the weak, the frail, the despised, the helpless, the lonely, the attacked, the depressed, the beaten down, the shoved around, those who are assaulted by the devil's messengers, within you, the power of God to bring life out of death is alive and at work in this world for His good, His glory, and for your benefit. That's just incredible. We know it. We feel it. We sense it through prayer. I don't know about you, but that's enough to almost make me charismatic. Almost. Don't don't get worried. But there's a power at work, friends. And it's not supplemental in our lives. It's foundational in our lives. Andrew Murray in his great little book, with Christ in the school of prayer, wrote this. Who can say what power a church could develop and exercise if it gave itself to the work of prayer day and night for the coming of the kingdom? Most churches think their members are gathered into one simply to take care of and build up each other. They know not that God rules the world by the prayers of the saints. That prayer is the power by which Satan is conquered. That by prayer of the church on earth, we have disposal to the powers of the heavenly world. Do we want to see Jesus exalted in our lives? 
Do we want to see Jesus' mission give us an experience of a new kind of life here in this church? Do you want to see the secret places in your life of fear turn to places of confidence? Do you want to see Lynchburg turned upside down for Jesus? Pray. Let us pray and lay hold of that power that He's already said He wants to work among us. The power that is already at work among us. Let's pray and ask that through us, the Spirit of God would tear a corner off of a little bit of darkness in this world. Pray. I hope that you will begin to make our Sunday night Mission First services a priority. Every Sunday night, the first Sunday night of the month, we gather together to pray for God's kingdom mission to advance here in Lynchburg and around the world. I hope you'll join us. Because it is through the prayers of the saints that the kingdom grows. I hope that you will consider joining the group that prays each Sunday morning before worship. Did you know that there is a group that prays for you before every worship service on a Sunday morning? There's a group that meets together to pray that the Spirit of God would do what only He can do in you. And they meet every Sunday morning to pray before the service. 8.30 and 11. Maybe you would want to join in that prayer ministry. You can meet with the prayer folks in the family room right outside. You go left and into Cheatham. You can see the prayer room, the family room. They can tell you how to get involved. It's through individual and corporate prayer that the kingdom's going to come. Prayer in our small groups. Prayer in our congregation. Prayer in our prayer closets. If we want to seek more deeply and affect this community for the name of Jesus... It happens not only as we believe, but as we put into practice that prayer is not supplemental, it's foundational. What do you think? You want to join together and see the Lord turn our lives and turn the city upside down? Let's pray and ask Him to do so. Father, we ask that by Your might and by Your power, You would be at work among us so much greater than we could ever ask or imagine. In our own lives, as we battle against sin and our old habits and our flesh and the the ways of death and darkness that we love to walk in even still, we pray, Holy Spirit, that You would open our eyes to the love of Christ for us that would drive out our love for those old ways. We pray... Holy Spirit, that You would wrestle into our hearts a commitment to love our city and love it through prayer. That we would love our world through prayer. And that through the prayers of Your people, Your kingdom would come and advance in our lives, in our neighbors, in our communities, and indeed in all the world. Would You do that work that You've already said You want to do? Use us as your instruments, we ask it. Amen.